Good morning, I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. We've come now to Judges chapter 9, which is a, a rather dark and sad story in the history of God's people, uh, featuring Abimelech, the son of Gideon's concubine. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to his word. Father, we thank you for your word, for all of your word. Every part of your word is given for our benefit and for your glory. It's, it's given to us to be profitable for, uh, for teaching and correcting and rebuking and for training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, Father, would you be our teacher and our discipliner, the one who corrects us and rebukes us, and our trainer in righteousness through your word, by your spirit today, through Judges chapter 9. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges chapter 9. Now Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem, to his mother's relatives, and said to them, and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you? That all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-bereth, which with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the vine, over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, 
And if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house, and have done to him as his deeds deserve, for my father fought for you, and risked his life, and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day, and have killed his sons, seventy men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative, if then you have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Millo, and let fire come from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Millo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech his brother. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood might be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brother. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way, and it was told to Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards, and trod them and held a festival, and they went into the house of their god and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and who are we of Shechem, that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam, and is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city, and when he and the people who are with him come out against you, they you may do to them as your hand finds to do. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gael the son of Ebed went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, you mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. Gael spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, Where is your mouth now, you who said, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despise? Go out now and fight with them. And Gael went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem, and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Aramah. 
and Zebul drove out Gael and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. He took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw the people coming out of the city. So he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and he razed the city and sowed it with salt. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of Elberith. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand, and cut down a bundle of brushwood, and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, What you have seen me do, hurry, and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle, and following Abimelech put it against the stronghold, and they set the stronghold on fire over them, so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem died, about one thousand men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and encamped against Thebes, and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women of the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower, and Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it, and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, and everyone departed to his own house, thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his seventy brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerob Baal. That is a sad chapter in a sad book. And it shows the, the really deadly consequences of being faithless to God and choosing leaders for the wrong reason. The Bible places very strong stock in good, godly leadership. When we're considering leaders, leaders for the church, leaders for the state, leaders for um, organizations that we're part of, we have a responsibility to be discerning and prayerful and careful. I like to think of breaking it down as the qualifications for leadership into three C's. First C, character. Character is who a person is. And we always lead out of who we are. And if you look at the qualifications for leadership in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus, the emphasis is strongly on character, being above reproach, being a man of one wife, not being a drunkard, not being hot-tempered, right? That is character. The second C is competency. 
competent to lead. And the measure that's given in the scriptures for that is that someone leads their own household well. Both elders and deacons are required to be faithful leaders of their own household. And then the third is conviction, that the person would believe the truth and would lead with conviction. For elders, we're told they need to be apt to teach. And for deacons, we're told that they need to hold to the faith with a clear conscience, hold to the confession of faith with a clear conscience. So character, competency, and conviction. And against this, the world would always be promoting self-interest and pragmatism. Self-interest. That's why the people of Shechem picked Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam's concubine. It's a, it's a selfishly pragmatic argument he makes. Which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you, or that one rule over you? They're only thinking about which is better for you. They're thinking selfishly and they're thinking pragmatically. It makes more practical sense to have this guy ruling over us. He's one of our own, right? He's of our own flesh and blood. There's a sort of tribalism there, right? A sort of uh, self-centered, prideful tribalism that's pragmatic. That's a wrong way to think about leadership. And our culture is being ever more and more dominated by this kind of thinking in terms of evaluating leaders. Well, he's on our side. He's one of us. He'll fight for us. It would be so much better to have him than those other guys, right? Better to have him than that other guy. Totally skipping over the leadership qualification questions. Does he have sound character? Is he competent to lead? Does he have the right set of convictions? We will lead out of who we are. We will lead to the level of our competency and we will lead toward our convictions. And so I just think it's very, very important that Christians hold to an integrity in picking leadership in a sound way. And they don't do that. Jotham escapes from this murderous plot of Abimelech where he kills the 70 sons of Jeroboam on one stone. Jotham the youngest is able to flee. And he tells this brilliant folktale, fable. Are there fables in the Bible? Well, this is a fable, right? You've got trees speaking and picking leaders. This is obviously not, you know, a, a literal story, right? And so it's a brilliant story to basically say, you guys are picking someone of low character, of low competency, and of no conviction. Reminds me of the election of 1800 in American history. And John Adams uh, and his wisdom, actually Alexander Hamilton, sorry, Alexander Hamilton and his, and his wisdom. Uh, the, the election of 1800 came down to really, it was initially supposed to be between John Adams, who was up for re-election as president, and Thomas Jefferson. But John Adams and his Federalist Party had lost power because they had passed a very unconstitutional set of laws called the Alien and Sedition Acts in 1798, um, which were just terribly uh, abusive of the constitutional limits on, on government power. And so John Adams and the Federalists were out of favor, and they lost the election of 1800. Well, on the other side, 
was Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr. And the idea was supposed to be that Thomas Jefferson would be president and that Aaron Burr would be vice president. But the way it was handled back then was that the person who got the most electoral college votes, the person who comes in first place, is, um, is the president. And the person who comes in second place is the vice president. And it ends up being a tie because everybody votes for both Jefferson and Burr, and it's a tie. And the long story short, Alexander Hamilton is very influential within the Federalist Party. And the, when no one wins the election, it goes to the House of Representatives to decide it. And they, they're going to decide who's going to be the president. And the thing is, the House of Representatives at this time is still controlled by the Federalists. They've lost the election, but they're still in power. It's a lame duck Congress. And so they have to pick who the next president's going to be between these two Democratic Republicans. They're the opposition party. Which one did they pick? And a lot of them wanted to stick it to Jefferson. They wanted to just not let Jefferson be president because they really didn't like Jefferson. And Hamilton persuades them very brilliantly. And he says, Mr. Jefferson and I don't share the same convictions. When it comes to convictions, we disagree on just about everything. But at least Jefferson has convictions. When it comes to convictions, Aaron Burr has none. Because Hamilton knew that Aaron Burr was just a self-seeking, pragmatic politician and not someone who had a deep set of convictions to guide him in governance. Now, Thomas Jefferson wasn't a great president, but Aaron Burr would have been a disastrous president. By the way, a little trivia thought, Aaron Burr was the grandson of Jonathan Edwards. Uh, something went wrong in that family tree. So, <clears throat> um, Aaron Burr would, did not get it. And Hamilton knew it's better to have somebody I disagree with, but who actually is a person of conviction and of competency than of someone who basically has no convictions at all. And so that, that little move by Alexander Hamilton, I believe, spared us from a man who probably would have been one of the worst presidents in American history. Aaron Burr was later found to be leading a conspiracy on the other side of the Mississippi River in Louisiana area to try to form a new republic of the territory to the west of the Mississippi that he could rule over as, as president. Um, so he was not a good guy at all. Anyway, I say all that to say that when picking leaders, it is very, very important that we not give in to the heat of the moment, to the pragmatics, to the selfishness, to, you know, the this guy's better than that guy and we don't want that. We have to pick people of character, people of conviction, and people of competency. And sometimes, if there's nobody like that available, it doesn't speak well to the state of the culture, does it? The book of Judges shows us terrible leaders because the state of the culture in Israel is terrible. And what Israel really needed was a cultural reformation. They needed to return to the Lord. If you read this passage, there's a lot of idolatry going on. There's a lot of worship of false gods. They end up, they pay Abimelech with money that they take out of the house of a, of a false god. Um, they pay him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Bereth, out of an idol's temple. So what Israel needed was cultural reformation, not pragmatic political leadership. Ultimately, for us as Christians, 
we don't serve an earthly kingdom. We are ambassadors to America or wherever God has you, but we're ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our king, and we are citizens in the heavenly kingdom. And so we need to be loyal to our king and the king we serve, Jesus. Oh, boy, does he have great character, flawless, perfect. Boy, does he have great competency. He is perfect in wisdom. Boy, does he have the right convictions. He is a man of righteousness. He is perfect in all of his ways. We need to be loyal to King Jesus and faithfully represent him as his ambassador to our culture and not get dragged down into the muck and the mire of dirty politics where people are really just being selfish and prideful and tribal and not following convictions, but just really wanting power. Let's not play that game. Let's be loyal to King Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us and for calling us to be citizens of your heavenly kingdom. We belong to you by faith in Jesus Christ because of his faithfulness, his unfailing love. Father, may we be loyal to Jesus and represent him well to our culture and not get distracted by the politics of this fallen world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tomorrow we're going to move right on to Judges chapter 10. I know today was a little bit longer, but it was a little bit longer chapter and more to go into. I hope, as always, that you have a blessed day in the Lord, and I hope to see you back here tomorrow morning.